This podcast, number 834, with Sarita Maben, is brought to you by Dr. Nisi Moore. Please listen to podcast number 828, as Dr. Nisi and I talk about her program entitled Creating Your Power Proclamation to Step into Your Destiny of Your Dreams. I recently had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Nisi Moore, the founder of the Life Coaching Institute. She has spent her life helping individuals and couples understand that they were created for more. Dr. Nisi recommends that we set our reticular activating system to seek for more. And one of those ways she recommends doing that is by the power of affirmation is what she calls power proclamation. If you want more information about Dr. Nisi Moore, please visit her website at www.drneci.com where you can learn more about her coaching programs for individuals and her Life Coaching Institute, where you can sign up to become a certified coach. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with Sarita Maben as we talk about her new book, Say What You Mean in a Nice Way, Working Together Better in High-Tech Times. Enjoy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I have Sarita Maben joining me from San Diego, my hometown, and anyone who listens to the show knows I live in Encinitas. And she's down in San Diego now. She used to be up here in North San Diego County, for all of those who know this area. And we were on a YMCA board together for years. And I always admired Sarita's uh, enthusiasm, her work, her vitality, Um, She's the author of two books, and we're going to be speaking about her new book right here, Say What You Mean in a Nice Way, subtitle, Working Together Better in High-Tech Times. Sarita, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Greg. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on and, uh, and us to connect again. I know we've been trying to do this for some time, and Sarita is going to be speaking with us today about you know, just how technology has affected the way we communicate and how just like what we're doing right now with Zoom, we were just mentioning before we got on the show that um, literally what happens is that we've all kind of defaulted um, to doing Zoom calls instead of just doing audio interviews. I mean, all of you know, I now have a YouTube channel, you know that these get posted there. And all of the audio comes from there. And Sarita even says in her book that in December, there were about 100 million Zoom calls. And by March, there were over 300 million Zoom calls. So it just gives you an idea. It triple folded. Who knows what it is now? It could be way higher than that. I don't know. But it's a lot. So, you know, Sarita, um, I'm going to let you tell our listeners because The reality is I always find in an author's life, there's kind of a defining moment. And the defining moment is, you know, you, you accolades, you went to college, you got your degrees, like a lot of people do. Um, What was the defining moment that wanted you to be a communication expert and to go out around the world speaking? You were on TEDx, you've been everywhere and do these things. Why, what drove you to do that? Well, you know, I want to rewind way back to high school, which I rarely share. Um, but I was I was kind of pondering the other day that I was well on my way to a career in journalism. At least that was my intention as a high school student. I declared my major as journalism. 
prior to going off to college. And my senior year in high school, I was a co-editor of a newspaper, high school newspaper, and somebody got the bright idea that there should be an advice column. You know, you have Dear Anne, Dear Abby. And so we had me with a pseudonym that was not my real name. And we had a place centrally located where people would leave their little problems. And um, I would spend hours in the in the library researching answers. And uh, that actually led me to use the word of the year pivot from going into journalism to declaring a major in psychology, going on to get a master's degree in counseling, uh, specializing in college administration and worked in, in universities for many years, uh, helping people communicate and work together better. So that was really the true foundation even before I discovered I had a knack for public speaking, uh, that that was probably the, the first defining moment of several. Well, and for my listeners, uh, if you want to find out more about Sarita, and I forgot to mention it, go to Sarita, S-A-R-I-T-A, Mabin, M-A-Y-B-I-N, all one, linktogether.com. There you can learn more about her books. You can subscribe to her communique, she calls it. She has thousands of subscribers. You learn more about her and your speaking engagements and do reach out to her and contact her. Now, Sarita, we're living in this always on world. Um, You know, your first book that you had uh, that you put out, I remember, you know, because we were at the YMCA when that one came out. And I know this one, the birth of it, took a little bit longer, um, Mm -hmm. maybe because of COVID, maybe because of just you being so busy. But in that first book, it was titled, If You can't say something nice, what do you say? You have spoken to thousands of audiences around the world since that that time. And what advice would you leave listeners less regarding being more diplomatic in their skills about what they say? Yes, what a what a good question. And and you know it's funny because uh when you were talking about defining moments, I was thinking about how my mother used to always say like probably every listener here, every person watching there, they probably had someone say, you can't say something nice. Don't, don't say, say anything at all. Okay. And of course, we all quickly learned that there were so many times when we had to tactfully share something that was somewhat uh, negative. And the biggest shift that I think we can make in, in being more tactful and diplomatic is to change the blaming tone of you always, you need to, you better to, I would appreciate, I need your help. I'm concerned. Uh, you know, sometimes we want to say, uh, you don't know what you're talking about, but we could say, you know, I need more clarification or I heard something different or I have a different understanding. So there's a lot of ways that we can express concern without doing the little finger point and, and going into blaming mode. Mm-hmm. And as you say in the book, being more compassionate. Um, I love that some of the acronyms that we're going to talk about here that you've come up with. And one of them that one of your audiences actually came up with. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. But how do you determine if something is a confrontational worthy or not? I mean, I think in the workplace, we're all in this position of, boy, a lot of things could be confrontational. I mean, yep. think about it. And the the more we work kind of, I, I would say, in these close quarters, it doesn't matter. I mean, project management being done from home, working with your at home with your kids and your husband being there or your wife being there, um, trying to deal with all the issues that you've got to deal with today to manage life under COVID, it puts additional stresses and strains. Um, And so what advice do you have for people, you know, really about this 
confrontation because I've, they, they've reported that there's more arguments, more divorces right now uh, than ever as a result of this lockdown. You know, it's so funny that you should say that about the lockdown and us all being together, because before COVID, I used to say to my audiences that I'd heard years ago, a little quote that uh, home is where we go when we're tired of being nice. And, and, you know, at work, we're like, how can we resolve this? Let's work together. And then we go home and we're completely ugly. Um, So, of course, as you just mentioned, now home is work, work is home, it's all together. And so that presents a challenge. Uh, and I think when we debate whether we want to confront something, uh, I always say that we need to take our ego out of it. Uh, my, my ego would say, well, let me show them the error of their ways. You know, well, they're not doing it my way. That's ego. But instead, I think there's a three question litmus test that we can use to determine if it's confrontation worthy. Uh, number one, is their behavior having some negative effect? You know, it's causing uh, problems, slowdowns, low morale. It's causing confusion, delays in the work project, missed deadlines. So is it having a negative effect? The second thing to ask is, is it affecting my attitude? You know, am I starting to feel a little resentment every time that person crosses my path? And at home, that would be all the time. Uh, And then thirdly, what's the consequence if we don't confront? You know, is there some negative thing that will happen if, if it's not handled? You know, a team member is missing deadlines. That's going to have a negative consequence. Uh, someone is going around spreading negativity among the team. That's going to have a negative consequence. So I think those three questions, negative effect, attitude and consequence, uh, really help us determine uh, if it's confrontation worthy. Well, it also, too, just comes down to relationships in general, right? In other words, yeah. it, it, those three questions could also apply to your marriage. You know, you said you got your degree in counseling. So, you know, the, the reality is, is that um, there used to be an old adage and I'm sure you heard it. um, Do I want to be right? Or do I want to be in love? Right. And so the big question there becomes is, you know, are you just going to let go of what your ego is telling you is that you're right and you've got to stay on a position or are you going to hold tight to that and have some confrontation that, you know, at, that could constantly turn into bad blood between you. Right. So that's right. That's I would right. tell people like she just said, kind of, you're going to have to let go of that ego many different times during these times. Now you speak about this high touch relationship and high tech times. That is kind of the subtitle of this book. Uh-huh. What advice would you give our listeners who are using texts, emails? Uh, they're constantly on emails today. You see subject lines in t- emails that you know are cryptic in nature because everybody's in a hurry. And helping them maintain these high-touch relationships because we've become so dependent on both of those tools. Not, yep. and, and I mean, even I am, uh, you know, because you've got a lot of people people. Uh, that are out there using all these team working tools today that are all readily available. Yep. Yep. You know, um, boy, I, that, that could be a whole presentation. In fact, it is a whole presentation yeah. itself, just uh, working together better in, in high tech times. Um, but one of the things that occurs to me is that people seem to use technology as a get out of jail free card. Like I always say that uh, there seems to be this crazy thought that, you know, if you can't say something nice, you know, post it on Facebook or if you can't say something nice, send an email. And so sometimes people lose sight of common courtesies and and decencies when they're in an email. So I think to to check yourself when you're sending email, um, but also to not try to resolve major conflicts 
in an email. There are times when we need to not use email and we need to actually pick up the phone and call. And I think a good guideline is, is it something that requires a conversation or discussion? Is it something that's a sensitive issue, like giving some negative feedback? Those are times when we may want to abandon the high tech altogether. Well, the good thing about the phone, which I'm from my era, right? I'm I'm a lot older than everybody on this podcast. But the reality is, is that, you know, uh, we grew up with a phone. And we utilize the phone, I think, whether you're selling or you're advising or you're a CEO or whatever you're doing, you can pick up on the subtleties of the tonality and the voice. Um, You can pick up on a lot of things that you think uh, that an email is working, but an email can perturb somebody quite easily um, just by a sentence or a word or something you said or a misunderstanding or you're typing it too fast and you forget to put something in it, right? So any checklist that you would give our listeners if they're going to stay that route as to what is the balance between me choosing to pick up the phone or me using a text or an email to get something out to somebody? Well, you know, uh, I going back to uh, something I learned uh, as a child, we probably all learned that please and thank you are still the magic words. Uh And sometimes people will say to me, well, Sarita, my emails come across as harsh. And I said, oh, really? What makes you say that? And they'll say, well, I meet the person finally. And they say, oh, you're actually quite nice. Oh, you're actually very friendly. And and you're thinking, what were they thinking about me when I've been emailing them all these months? And so the the question often comes up, how do I make my email more warm and fuzzy, more approachable? And I always say, please and thank you. Very much the difference of saying, get that to me by five o'clock versus please get that to me by five o'clock. Thanks so much for your help. So I always do it after, right after I do my spell check, I do a please and thank you check to make sure that in some way I've softened or humanized uh, the email. You know, and one of the things I don't know if uh, I know my listeners will believe in this because many of them are on this path, but I attempt, I don't always manage it, but I attempt after I read the email and correct it, like what you just said. So those are the first two rules. Make sure you read what you wrote. Make sure you look at the spelling and what you wrote. And oh, you of correct course. It. With yes. the spell checkers today, you don't have anything to worry about. And then put energy around it by closing your eyes and asking the email to get sent with positive vibration. In other words, hey, I want to send this out with the intention that it's going to be received very positively. And when you look at it that way, what happens is people oftentimes have much more of a positive response. And I've done that many times by just sending that positive energy with the email. So I'd recommend, that's my little advice, that you do that as often as possible. Um, I love it. Hey, you know, one thing I want to say, Greg, about the emails, uh, in, in chapter on the very first page, the very first story is a story about one of my colleagues who actually cursed her, her boss out in an email, but then she deleted it. And she sent a different email that still got across the, the message and the concerns she had, but in a very positive way. And it was sent with positive intent, as you say, uh, versus her original one was to to wag the finger and blame. But then she decided, how can I say all of this, giving some grace, benefit of the doubt and positive intent. So I like the fact that you say, send it with positive intent. I just think it's something that we all can take a few minutes to do and be very mindful. You also can put compassion and caring in that at the same time, because that's one of your, uh, key mottos or things here. So you created this acronym CARE. That's where we are, C-A-R-E, to be a guide for communicating 
with compassion and care. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I have a foundation called Compassionate Communications, and that's about uh, listening, learning, loving, and laughing. And that's with people that are in need who aren't being heard. And yes, I think it, yes. the same thing holds true for anybody because I think frequently inclusion is an issue. So speak with us about this acronym CARE. What does it stand for and why is it so important in your estimation? Okay. Yes. And, and in fact, I created that acronym after I was on the receiving end of a wonderful customer service experience during a travel incident and uh, was struck by how consultative the folks were, uh, the travel agent or ticket agent that I was dealing with, because a lot of people like to be consulted with versus told or talked to or uh, demanded. And uh, so the consult, the consulting with making it a we instead of a you, uh, that's the, the real C, the consultative part of the C. Uh, and then the A is being attentive. You know, in this world of multitasking and, and multiple devices, sometimes just getting giving someone full attention and being attentive is is a powerful strategy. Mm-hmm. And the results, we can have all the positive intent and all of the attentiveness, but if we don't get things done and make things happen or solve people's problems, it's all for naught. And so result would be the, the R. And then, of course, my favorite counselor type word is empathy, E. Uh, can we at least feel their pain, uh, demonstrate that we understand what they're going through? Yes. It's a great acronym. And I think if people would, you know, even if you had like a little chart in front of you and that's something that you reminded yourself of, um, say those Again, for us, just in order, just just what the acronym stands for. And so, I think- consult. C is consultative. Okay. A is attentive. Mm-hmm. R is results. Mm-hmm. And E is empathy. There you go, folks. And uh, if you can do all of those, the attentive one, I would think is the attentive and the empathy are probably the two most important ones. Now, you speak about another acronym that your audience came up with. And I'm surprised because I was like, well, what does she do with her audiences? And obviously, you do workshops and, you know, you do a lot more than just public speaking for an hour somewhere, an hour and a half. And they came up with LIAR, you know, and it stands for Listen, Investigate, Acknowledge, and Respect. Can you tell us a little bit more about these skills and why they're so important and how this all came about? Yeah, I I love that. Um, You know, I do enjoy the one hour keynotes and I do a lot of conference keynotes, which are an hour or so. Um, But it's always fun every now and then when I can do a couple hours, at least with a group and have them chat amongst themselves. And uh, one such group, I ask them to think about what skills they saw as important in a leader, especially. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I think really important as uh, colleagues. And they came up with this LIAR acronym. And what I love about the LIAR acronym is the fact that it focuses on the listening and validating the other person. Um, I I loved an expression I heard years ago, which was that people really don't want information. They want validation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we always want to tell people stuff and give them information, but really they just want to be validated. And so even though liar was kind of an unsavory word, I thought, well, that it sums it up and I'm not going to change it. (laughs) And, you know, it's something you would remember because you're not thinking about liar when you're thinking about communicating, you know, right. it's it's like other than it, pardon me, but maybe the president. <laughs> so, but in this case, we're thinking about, uh, we're thinking about the 
acronym being used is an opportunity to really hone your communication skills. And, you know, just again, for my listeners, we always can be working on how to become better communicators. That's right. Um, you know, I, right. I, I listen to various, let's just talk about uh, some of our leaders. I thought one of the best speakers in my lifetime as a president was Barack Obama. Uh, and I, you know, again, I don't care if I'm very airing my political views on this show because you're either going to listen or you're not. But my point is, is that he was so articulate. Uh, so knowledgeable. Um, and he wasn't like particularly verbose. It wasn't like he would just keep moving on and on and on and on, you know, about something. He would say it, he would say it using great language. And I love that. Um, and you, you don't find that in an orator. You know, there are orators yeah, out no. there, um, public speaking, you're a great public speaker. And I haven't actually heard you make a presentation, but I bet you're wonderful. So, you know, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's so funny you talk about presidents and orators because my current Facebook status on my personal Facebook page, uh, I posted the other day, which is a Ronald Reagan quote. And his quote is peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the ability to solve conflict in a peaceful manner Manner. or something to that effect. And, um, so, you know, it's conflict is, is inevitable. Conflict is going to exist forever. We can't run from it. Uh, but the question is, how do we handle that conflict? Do we do it in a productive and constructive way? So that's. And I think, I think resolving it, you know, in other words, resolving it so that both parties don't feel stepped on. Right. Yeah. Or or in some way submissive or whatever it might be. And I think that's for this country, just a commentary. We have yeah. to come together and. uh fix the divide and speak with one another again, because we are a united America, not a divided America. So, you know, what advice would you give people that are texting in business environments? Um, The do's and the don'ts, because look, texts are designed to be something very fast. Um, That's the purpose of them. Uh, We now can speak to it. And a lot of people don't look at after they've spoken and there's misspelled words and, all kinds of jumbledy jumbly. They don't want to put their big fat fingers on there to do that. Um, so, you know, texting while very effective and efficient to get a quick message out may be misinterpreted because I've actually had people come back to me and say, what the heck did you mean? What, what are you talking about? And then I looked at the text that I sent. I was like embarrassed, you know. So any yeah, advice? Yeah, um- you know, it's so funny because um, I, I feel like texting is almost becoming as common as email, much to yeah. my dismay. I, yeah. I, prefer, I feel like texting. I don't want my text uh, stream to become as crowded as my email stream. But I'm reminded of a, a story that I, I love to tell about a, a baby boomer mother trying to communicate with her millennial daughter. And I say this as someone who has a 28 year old daughter, a millennial daughter, and that it could very well be me. But the, but the, but the funny story, true story is she texts the daughter saying, you know, honey, what does IDK and TTYL stand for? And the daughter sends back a text. I don't know. Talk to you later. And the mother sends a reply. Fine. I'll ask your sister. So (laughs) that sounds about right. So, so I said, I said, you know, that could very well be my daughter and myself, because when we get into all of those acronyms and using lots of emojis, 
it really is not only confusing sometimes because everybody's not on the same page, but it also is unprofessional. So I think while text can be used, we still need to, to we still need to type it as though it's an email and, and avoid some of those uh, acronyms and abbreviations and emojis. Great advice because I get those sometimes with the little emojis and acronyms in them, and I don't even understand it. But I don't even I'm too embarrassed to ask the other person, so I never ask for advice. Sarita, you teach this total team workshop. Um, I presume you've been doing this for a long time. And when it comes to work environment and your book is directed at pretty much people that are workplace, um, let's face it. Um, And you mentioned in the book that there's three roles that always show up when we're teaching and that come out when you're teaching this workshop, right? Uh, Can you tell the listeners um, how this works and how to better communicate as teams? Because that is one of the probably... Biggest challenge is what if I get a team member I don't like, or I'm working with somebody that I don't think is knowledgeable and it's taking up a lot more time to have them on my team than if I didn't. So we don't even want to work as a team. We'd rather just disappear to our desk and do what we have to do. Um, yeah, it's so. hard work. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it is, you know, a lot of people still, I'll just do it myself. I don't need a team. It's faster and easier. But as we all know, the collective wisdom gives a much more powerful result. Right. And so learning to work in teams is, is very advantageous. Uh, but the three roles that I speak of, uh, and, and of course, if I have more time and can do a workshop format versus a keynote, I actually even do a full-on team simulation where I assign people roles and they play it out and see how it, it, it works out. But every group, and this is really group dynamics 101, but every group has people who are focused on the task. And the goal. And I'm one of those people. I tend to be focused when I'm in a group on, okay, what are our deadlines? You know, how can we get this done? Who's going to do what? We got to delegate. So there's those people. And then there's also the people people who are concerned that people are happy, that everyone is being heard, everyone is validated, recognized, acknowledged. And then there's those people who have their own little agenda. And you see them, the people that are on their device, the people doing something unrelated to the group, yeah. dominate the conversation, those that tangent from the conversation. And I think that's where the real work is, is kind of reining in those people who who might uh, kind of go uh, far afield from the group's assignment. Yeah. And they communicate. <laughs> Let's talk about communicating. You know, the style of communication. Um, you mentioned those three roles. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the three roles, if you remember them? Um, so, again, the three roles are tasks, people who focus on tasks. People, those who focus on getting uh, everyone's buy-in. And the third role, of course, is the anti-group. And that's the negative role that always shows up somewhere in a group. Um, So two positive roles, one negative role. And whether you're talking about your um, high school reunion committee, you're talking about a project management team, uh, or even uh, some neighborhood association, you're going to see those roles show up. Yeah, and it's, you know, teamwork in today's world is so important. You have a section in the book that you speak about lessons learned from lockdown and working with Zoom. Here we are on Zoom, you and I talking today. Um, what advice do you have for people doing video conferencing? Obviously, we both have some nice backgrounds. Uh, I have a little light above mine. What would you tell people? Well, you know, we have all seen the memes on social media. We've all heard the jokes. We've all heard all the crazy things about people in their pajamas and yoga pants and forgetting that they're on camera, this and that. We've all heard all those funny things. 
And, and, and as I think about your question, I, I ponder what would be the one thing that I think I would say about Zoom. And, and the thing I would say is be present. I am always shocked when I go to meetings. I was at a professional association meeting the other night and a woman actually said at the beginning of the meeting, oh, we're going to be interacting. I was planning to do my taxes during the meeting. I was like, what? Would you actually do your taxes in an in-person meeting? So just as we've talked about, you know, people focusing on the task, people focusing on each other and then people tangenting, the same holds true for virtual meetings that we need to have our camera on. We need to be engaged in listening to what others are saying. And, and so really just be present is, I think, my overarching advice about uh, maximizing Zoom as a, as a positive tool. I think as Ram Dost used to say, be here now. In other words, yeah. there, you've only got the present moment. You're here on this screen. You want to make the best of it. And you have to be yeah. mindful of the other person and what the other person is saying. And I think the first skill, if this uh, 860-odd podcasts have taught me anything, it's about listening. Um, because you're not listening to respond. You're listening to understand. Um, and so in my case, it has become quite a learning lesson to actually listen, not to respond, but to listen, and then to keep people focused on what it is that, you know, we're talking about. You know, in my case, interviewing authors, it's always about where they're headed next. And do we, how do, how do we rein them in, right? How do we pull them back toward where they're supposed to be. Um, in your case, you've done a great job. You stayed right on task here. So let's go with this. There's always this high-tech world. We're always moving. We're fast. Everything's fast today. It's like, I got to have it tomorrow. You look at Amazon, you put an order in the morning, you get it in the afternoon, you wonder, how in the world did those guys do that? Um, how do you get people to slow down, focus on their communications with more compassion, understanding, with the result being to form a better relationship with the other person versus a transactional kind of situation. I find that a lot of people on, whether it's Zoom or it's a text or it's an email, it's strictly a transaction. It isn't about building a relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, in some cases, I understand it is about a transaction. You have to get something done quickly. You want to do it. But if you're in the people business, which everybody who's probably listening is, um, it's about really building relationships. I th you made a comment about the person who thought you were nasty. And then when she met you, she was like, oh, you're, you're really nice, you know. And so how many people are getting that impression based on the speed at which we move and the fact that we're not listening? And yeah. what would you, how would you comment? Well, you know, I have to say, um, you really hit the nail on the head, Greg, regarding it being about relationships, even when you're doing a transaction. And as someone who's been in the speaking business, full-time speaker uh, for 27 years, which I cannot even believe it's been that long. Um, I feel like what has kept me in business that long is what I call the and so on effect. You know, someone will see me speak and, you know, we'll have a chance to work together. And I feel like I'm pretty easy to work with. You know, I'm able to stay in touch with them, give the information they need. We even may go out and have socialize. We build a relationship. And so that prompts them to tell somebody else. And then they tell somebody else and they tell somebody else and so on and so on. 
And so I think really that's how businesses are built. We've all heard, anybody in business has heard the expression that people do business with those they know, like, and trust. So to know, have someone know you, like you, and trust you, you have to build a relationship. And so I I think that's really important. Uh, So I love the fact that you talk about relationships really being the foundation, you know, even if we are making transactions and making a living in the process. Well, I, I think that, look, clients turn into friends. Um, You know, and the way they turn into friends is how you manage that relationship along the way, what -hmm. you did. And it's not about how many gifts you bought them or what you did or how many times you went to dinner or whatever. It's about how well you understood them and how much you listened to them that really made the important difference. And I think that's why I'm going to recommend everybody say what you mean in a nice way is a really great book. Uh, for you to get. Uh, there's uh, very sound advice in this book, and I'm going to highly recommend it. You can get it off of Amazon. We're going to have a link. We're going to have a link to Sarita's website as well, where you can get her communique. Um, subscribe to that. Um, and it says that you also receive a bonus. What's the bonus? Oh, the bonus. Yes, yes. The bonus is a PDF of 50 phrases for all occasions. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, theory is fine, but what do you actually say when you're in communication with that person? So I'm all about the phrases and you'll get 50 of them uh, when you join the uh, email list for the communique. Great. So we'll put a link to the communique so that you, that everybody can join that as well. Sarita, pleasure having you on the show, spending a little bit of time in this early January. Great time to talk about this. We're off to the first of the year. If people could even if they had one task that they would write down or one intention or aspiration, and that's to build stronger relationships through better communication. If that was just even your general thing and we helped you remind you to do that this morning, we're happy we did that. Go to Sarita's website at Sarita Maben. You can see it at our blog entry. Uh, Connect with her. If you have an interest in hiring her to do speaking, you definitely can hire her for a speaking gig. I'm sure she'll be back in touch with you to do that. Um, Thank you all for listening. And Sarita, thank you and have a wonderful 2021. Thank you, Greg. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.